God, God, you look te- um, good. Looking good, actually. And welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where we try to suck just a little bit less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And recording live from the basement of the Ivory Tower, my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode number 95, recorded January 26th, 2023. I have a little bit of a make good and follow up on something that I threatened some time ago. Okay. Uh, we were talking about, we, we got talking about gear and mechanical keebs. And I threatened uh, that I was considering lubing my switches and mm-hmm. neither of us had ever done that before. So I actually did it. Um, and I have, hey, I have reports. No, I have a report from the, <laughs> from the field. Wait, how, how are you hitting me with that already? No, because you bullshit. talked about lubing the switches and it was just that, that, that uh, wasn't, that wasn't an acronym definition. That was, that was, that was an actual genuine that was, archer that phrasing. Was an actual phrasing. Yeah. That was an actual right. archer phrasing. Okay. So you're so lubing your switches. As it may, mm-hmm. I'm lubing my switches. Um, now this is a whole, oh, I, I am down an entire rabbit hole with this whole ordeal now, right? Just a level set uh, there's more behind this, but there are, uh, you can go online. I'm not going to spend too much time, uh, but I think the highlights are, uh, what was my experience? Would I do it again? Do I recommend it? And what are my tips? All right, um, cool. Let's hear it. So, so, uh, bottom line up front, bluff it. Uh, yeah, I'd recommend it. Uh, if you've got a, a little bit of money and a, a more time to kill and you're curious, if, if you are, if you are lube curious at all, give it a shot. So here's my experience. Uh, it took, it will take you probably a few hours. Uh, think like a couple few hours. Um, it is a, it is a detail as you would expect. Like it's detail work. Uh, you are, you've got to pull all your caps. Um, which require, if for, we'll just start from square one for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about here, mechanical keyboards. Uh, if you have, you know, my keyboard has, has hot swappable switches. So there's the thing, the thing your finger touches, that's the cap, the key cap. Those are easy to pull off. You can just yoink them. Uh, but there's a special tool you can use called a cap puller. Uh, that's just like a two pieces of wire. Um, you yoink all your keycaps off. Then you're exposed with the switches. Uh, the switches, they have a clip, the, the cherry style that I've got, they have a clip on the top and bottom of the switch where it mounts into the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a switch puller, which is a little key. Usually a cap puller and a switch puller are opposite ends of the same little cheap tool that's branded. Um, uh, use a switch puller to yank the switch out. There's two little leads that pop down out of the bottom of the switch, but the switch housing is made of the switch is made of essentially four pieces. There's like a lower housing, which is a piece of plastic that sits on the bottom. There's an upper housing, which is creatively enough the piece of plastic that sits on the top. Um, there is the um, the stem, which so for example, I have been for a while now. I've used uh, cherry browns, but any any switch is going to be referred to by like the brand and the color. So whether it's kale or cherry or gateron or whoever else. Um, they're going to refer to their different switches by color and it, the different colors just signify like the actuation force and the actuation point and the spring brack and the, the whether it's clicky or linear and that's uh, it's a whole thing. It's not really germane to the topic, but you have the stem, which is this colorized plastic. And then between the stem and the bottom housing is a spring. That is really it. And the spring's got some leads in it. Um, that'll change depending on whether you've got like a, cl- a tactile or or a linear switch. But you uh, then you need a third tool called a a, a switch opener uh, that'll help you actually open. There's four clips that hold the bottom to the top housing. And once you get those over, that was my first mistake. I did not realize how large and how much tension the spring is under. So mm. I lost the first spring over here into my window. So I was lucky. I was very blessed. I found it very quickly. Um, I, it it's not did not have to go that way. No. It's not big. Well, so it's, it's, it's bigger lose. than I thought, actually. It's oh, actually okay. bigger than I thought. Well, yeah, you think about this, all of it fits inside of the switch that you see. So it's, it's not, it's not big stuff, but the, 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 the spring was a little bigger than I thought it would be. Um, but that went flying, and luckily I froze as soon as it as soon as it proinged off in the other direction. I froze, and I was able to hear just a little tink, which gave me a clue as to like where in the room it landed. <laughs> so I was able to find it. Um, 
I would say the first uh, YouTube tutorials, uh, articles, blog posts abound. I'm not going to explain the process. What I will say, though, for my part is that the first, I would say the first 5, 10, 15 were slow. It was a slow, it's like just to learn this is a new skill. I don't, I don't know how to put the thing back together again. You got to, and, and it's once you do it a dozen times, it's easy, but the first time is weird. Uh, you get that together. I did, uh, the, now my board, I have like 76 switches. I think a full US standard normal keyboards, like 108. Um, and again, took me a couple few hours. So, um, even though you get into a groove and it goes pretty quick once you get used to it, 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 it takes some time. Um, but I got that all done. And I got to say, there are, there are, there are three distinct benefits, uh, that I've, that I've documented in my journey. Um, the first, and I would say far and away the most important thing, uh, the most important benefit you get lubing your switches, uh, the first of all is you get bragging rights. You get to tell everybody else, smugly, pompously, whatever spin you want to put on it, you get to tell other people that you did it, right? Obviously, that's the most uh, important reason. I mean, that's, reason. The clearly, that's clearly why clearly. you went through this whole exercise was just that for, is for that. top of the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I can look at somebody else and say, oh, do you even lube your mechanical switches, bro? Right, like that's obviously the height of, of what you're looking for here. Um, distant, distant, tied for second place. Um, actually, the feel and the sound is meaningfully different. Oh. Um, so until I went through this process and I did maybe, I did maybe 10 or 12 and then I put them back in and I played with it for a little bit to try to AB compare. I thought about actually taking like a, a sound recording, like sample for the show. And then I realized every idiot on YouTube's got sound comparisons with better oh microphone setups. You go and you, if you're curious, it's fine. But I, and so I, I expected there would be some difference in sound and feel, uh, actually kind of pleased with how much so um so what i what you what i didn't realize and i've been using a mechanical keyboard for over a decade uh but i've never used one that was lubed i didn't realize how much rattle and scrape and pinging that that the keys did on every press and this gets rid of all of that um so the the feeling is just it's nice and smooth there's a little there's a little less um harshness when the keys but I, I type hard enough i i bottom the key out usually um there's less it's it's more of a smoother feel to it um and as far as the sound goes again back to like the the rattle and the scrape and the ping it's just a it's just a a, a deeper fuller richer sound quality it's like a the, the keyboard enthusiasts they call it the thock and it, it really is like it's a it's just a more pleasing sound um so to use it is just uh, it's a wonderful experience. Now there's other things. Apparently there's a bunch of other mods you can do to keyboards. You film them, and there's all sorts of crazy stuff. This uh, for my money, and the, the equipment was cheap. I already had the uh, the switch and cat puller. Um, the switch opener was five or ten bucks. They're cheap, um, and I got I think Glorious. Yeah, Glorious is the name of the company. Uh, I picked up just a simple brush and whatever their lube was. There's uh, you know. Every YouTube video you watch, somebody's, oh, no, this is the best lube or that's the best oil or this is the best grease because some people will will use a, a different weight of grease for the springs than they do lube for the um, the post and the housing and all different minutiae you can go down. Uh, to be honest with you, now that I'm on the other side of it, I think you just you just pick a lube and you do it and you get from zero to one. I'm sure there are <laughs> meaningful differences when you, you know, I mean, if you do these, if you, I know people that build these as a hobby or they have like six different keyboards at any given time for different reasons. And that's fine. I, I'm sure there are differences, but I really don't think this is one where you got to like overthink it too much. Um, so if you have like nothing, if you have no tools to start with, you could probably do it for 20 or 30 bucks and, you know, like I said, the time is the biggest thing. Um, if I ever, you know, if I if I get a new keyboard, that that'll be the first thing I do to it. I'm I'm a I'm a convert. I think it's worth it. Um, totally unnecessary, but uh, worthwhile exercise. So you would do it on a brand new keyboard, not just one you've been using for an extended period of time. Oh yeah, yeah. If like to my, like, I'm in love with this Moonlander, by the way, and when I have more to say about that because I'm now down a whole rabbit hole with this thing. Um, I if I got a new keyboard, a mechanical keyboard tomorrow, I would loop it first thing. Yeah, I would put on I would put on the Avengers or Next Generation or whatever, and I would just work <laughs> through a couple hours and I would loop every switch. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And aside from the uh, obvious, I'm cooler than you factor. 
you do notice a difference in feel and sound is what I, there, there yeah. is, there is uh, a noticeable feel, difference in feel and sound. There is, there is a notice. Yeah. There's, there's just, it, it removes, there's a, there's a, a subtle class of like rattle, like side to side motion that it helps to dampen or attenuate the, the, when I'm talking about the actual um, post sliding in and out of the upper uh, up and down in the bottom housing, there's a, a certain amount of shake that it can help attenuate because I think the loop just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not sticky, but it, it just, there's a little bit of rattle that it attenuates. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I did not, I never noticed how much scraping there is. Um, mm. And that's both a sound and a feel of the keys actuating up and down. Um, and again, it just, it takes out some of the, some of the pinging, some of the the high pitch. It, it gives it a, a richer, fuller kind of a sound um, that I just find altogether pleasing. I think it does, it did quiet the keep a little bit, which is, which is good for me. I'm, I don't want, you know, I'm not rocking like cherry greens here. Like I don't want a super loud keyboard. I actually thought going, um, going to a, a switch that is, is purposefully more quiet because I am, I spend all day on meetings and we record the show and, you know, I don't necessarily want to hear my keyboard. I want to feel it more than I hear it. Um, so it did, it did take a little bit of the, of the noise out, which I found desirable. Uh, but it also just changed the quality of the sound too. Okay. So, cool. Yeah. It's a, that's a recommend for me. It's right. a recommend. There um, you go. I thought it was, and then. Now I'm thinking about the keyboard. Uh, I think I mentioned to you, I'm down a whole rabbit hole here. Uh, I because I got the new hub for the laptops. I'm switching between the Mac and the and the Windows all the time. That's Fisher Price OS. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm switching between both Fisher Price OSs. Um, so I went down a whole rabbit hole with QMK. I am now. This is you're going to roll your eyes. This I am mm-hmm. now uh, compiling and flashing the firmware manually rather oh, than use the online configurator. Good yeah, Lord. because I I find after it's been I think two years that I've had the Moonlander, and their their online configurator they call it Oryx I think uh, ZSA. It is really a great tool, and I have been using it. I've been happily I've been happy to use it for I think I've had it for two years now. I finally, now that I'm bouncing back and forth between two OSs, I finally hit a point where their online configurator does not expose all of the functionality of QMK that I wanted. And so I dropped down to manually uh, configuring the the key mappings. And so then you got to compile the firmware and then you got to flash it yourself. Um, I still use their tool. They have like a, a, a flashing tool. You can use it. I don't. Um, but yeah, now I'm I went I went from like, oh, you have this nerdy keyboard to like all the way down in like I need help. I'm I'm drowning down here. I need somebody to reach down and pull me out of this pit cuz I'm like fully I'm fully down the tunnel at, at this point and I'm loving it. Um but yeah, that's <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty gross. Where I wound up where I was a month ago when we had there two months ago we had this conversation versus now, it's just it's gross and I need help, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh greasing the um relubricating your keys and what were give me the give me the, the, the product that you that you tried, like the actual lube that you used again. Because we might uh, as well just make yeah, it the I pick. You spent enough time on this, and we might um, as well make it the pick for the day, I think. We could we could pick it, yeah. Um, and I'll I'll get the exact, but uh, Glorious has Glorious. A, a brush. Um, that's the name, PC Gaming Race. Uh, okay. They have a, a brush and a, a generic uh, lubricant. So um, is it Glorious or PC Gaming Race, or are they one in the Glorious. Same? Glorious. Glorious, okay. I think, right. is the brand. All right, there you go. Get your uh, oh. get your mechanical keyboards all uh, all lubed up. Super lubed up. Silent and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. All right. So last time we got together, we actually started a conversation, and I made a note. Uh, I put a pin in it to borrow an overused uh, synergistic term. We need like a vomit sounder now. <laughs> we use t- this corporate muckety muck bull spit. We need a we need a vomit sounder. I need a, I need a toilet sounder. Is is really what we I do? Need, we I do think. enough drinking on this show. I don't think a vomit would really be out of place. No, probably not. Probably not. Although I don't want to make anyone vomit because you know some people have that reaction. Oh, I start to feel sick if somebody else gets sick. So yeah, yeah, those know. are those are people that don't have kids. It would. <laughs> 
<laughs> it would have to be it would have to be a, a cartoon vomit of of some kind of some it would. Kind. like the anime vomit Blah, and it's all rainbows that one yeah all right so we the technicolor yawn <laughs> when we when we last talked uh we we had we were about to i forget what the topic was but we were there was a, a chance that we were going to tumble down a major sidebar rabbit hole talking about why engineers end up having to stuff five pounds of crap into a three pound bag. Why oh. does, engi- so why does engineering, and, and I, I wanted to come back to it because I think this, this fits very nicely with what we're trying to do here. There are lots of shows and there are lots of resources for you to become an engineer. That's there, there's tons of programming stuff. What we try and talk about here is that meld point where you're taking, you're going from just being a programmer to being a programmer in business, to being a professional programmer. Like, to be uh, what I what I am, uh, I'm trying to come up with some with, with uh, you know like a, a a term for this. And so far, I've come up with pro pro, a professional programmer. So like, what does it take to become a pro pro? And this question, I hate it. Please continue. <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> term. Go on. So why is it? In nearly every job I've ever had or every team I've worked with, the, the engineering team always seems, or at least some of the engineering team always seems frazzled. There's always way too much to do and not enough time to do it. And in some cases, the the asks really are outrageous and just impossible to reach. I need this entire app built and delivered yesterday. How does this happen? Why do we end up in this situation all the time? It seems to just be endemic to to our field. And so I wanted to, because this is a problem that you and I have both dealt with, and I like to think I've done a fairly good job at not getting myself caught in this trap in recent years. I think I've learned to dodge this particular one, but it's just so common that I wanted to, you know, unpack this concept a little bit. So. How, how does th- how does this happen? So you know, where do we start? It, to me, and I don't have a whole monologue planned for this, so you know, feel free to jump in here uh, at any point. To me, the problem really starts with not being able to definitively say no, and that's a little bit of a that that's a little bit of a tongue in cheek answer because. Almost every engineer I've I've ever worked with, they can very easily sit there and talk to you about all the technical complications and all or what about this and what about that and and give you all the all the challenges and yet they still end up doing the thing that they were instructed to do. And so it's not simply a matter of pointing out the technical challenges, the technical hurdles, the limitations, the the technical requirements. That's that's what we, I think, naturally focus on, but that's not the thing that actually causes the consternation. It, no, it, it is. It is definitely an abusive codependency in a lot of cases. <laughs> I think because no, because and 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 there's. There, I think I think you can even start before that, and you can say there's interesting conversation to be had where uh, where you. I, I heard you say the phrase uh, engineers uh, are not able to say no. Well, what do you mean there? Because mm-hmm. the one way to, you know, I saw the man on the hill with the telescope, right? Does that mean that the engineer, does that mean that the programmer, the developer, let's pick a word, the pro pro, does that mean that? Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I was trying it out. I was trying it out. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Does that mean that the individual says no, they will lose their job? Does that mean that the individual says no, it will hamper their career because they're not seen as a team player? Does that mean that the individual says no, they get yelled at? Or does it mean that the individual fears all of that may come to pass and elects never to say no because of some self-imposed, right? So is that an internal limitation or an external limitation that that he or she cannot say no? That's that's kind of my first thought. Mm. And the degree to which they are related or not, I think, again, I think there's some interesting conversation there. But I think it, it, in practicality, I have seen it form an abusive codependent relationship, right? Uh, yeah, so wanna, let me paint the picture for you. I want to, uh, yeah, yeah, paint the picture. So, I want to hear what you're thinking there. So, so, um, 
we are uh, we're we're in a company, and you've got some business owner, entrepreneur, uh, low level manager or CEO. It doesn't matter. You've got you've got the business guy. You got the nerd in the room. Business guy says, "I want you to rebuild me Facebook in a weekend." Nerd says, "Can't be done." Business guy says, "Surely you can do this. You're smart." Tech guy says, "Yeah, but you don't understand the scope and scale of what we're trying to build here." Eventually, what happens in this dynamic, usually, and I'm not saying there aren't exceptions, but I think you would agree that usually what happens in this dynamic, whoever, whoever is, is leading the conversation in a results arena way, because the business owner continuing to say, pound it down the throat, we got to get this done. How do we get this done? Let's get this done. Typically, what they say and what they want are not the same thing, right? What they actually want is a result that is marketable. They don't really care what it looks like, right? And what the what the what the programmer is saying, what the developer is saying no to potentially, is not necessarily the core idea. It's the stated direction. And so you've got this this game of telephone where business owner observes a need, right, in through the eyes, interprets that brain sends a signal to mouth that we need to communicate this mouth messes it up again programmers ears hear it the brain interprets something different right there's this game of telephone that goes on with this human communication on every every word every sentence is this is this huge mash of errors essentially <laughs> and how we get anything done is a miracle so eventually one way or the other these two individuals will come to an understanding the developer will go off and produce something, and then the business owner will be largely satisfied enough that business can continue. Okay, what does that do? The business owner went in there, again, doesn't, doesn't give a rip. And you know guys like this. Business owner goes in there, doesn't give a rip about the details. Does just once, nope. Just wants the market result, whether that's growing the TAM, whether that's increasing revenue, whether it's decreasing cost or uh, avoiding risk, whatever the thing is that's on their mind. They don't care how it gets done. Just do it. All right? And so they went into the room. They wanted a thing. When they left the room, they got the thing. And all the stuff that happened in between was overriding a bunch of objections and technical bullcrap from this nerd guy. And so they start to form a habit where they know they'll get what they want. They just have to sit there and berate them long enough until they agree to it, right? From the developer's perspective, they go in there, guy comes in asking for the sun, moon, and stars. We barely get out of there with uh, an LED flashlight, but it seemed to make him happy. In order to do even that, though, I've got a deprioritize. Look, we built we built a flashlight last week, and the thing's half broken, and the batteries are stapled to the outside of it. I got to go fix that. I can't I can't hand these flashlights out to people. I got to go fix what we did last week. Now we're going to build on top of it. We're going to put a, a we're going to put a, a shell on that one, and so learns that whenever business guy comes in the room, he's got to fight tooth and nail just to get the scope down to something that's manageable and eventually figures out that if he's going to go and fix the one they built last week, all right, uh, you know what? It's fine. If I get to build this new flashlight, it's okay. I'll put in a little extra time Saturday morning and I'm going to go and I'm going to fix the old one, right? Eventually comes to this point where you're working nights, you're working weekends to try to get ahead, to try to stay, not ahead, but just to stay afloat. And I think then it becomes this default posture where the business is demanding more than five eights. And so I think lather, rinse, repeat, both sides kind of get used to, kind of, be, there's, they, they kind of get used to this dynamic and it just perpetuates. And then the understanding is that the business can come in and ask for whatever they want because eventually they're going to get it. And the technologists are going to dis basically destroy their lives and health and family and everything else to try to make it work because that's what they have to do. Okay. So you, uh, I, I'm a little, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but I, I think you can see like I've, like I've seen this dy dynamic play out before. Yeah. Well, and, and so you, okay. So you touched on a whole bunch of stuff there and, and you went down some of the same uh, some of the same roads that I was thinking when I talked about ability to say no. Yeah. Um, unpacking that a little bit. Uh, the first level of this is what's the definition of of done? 
because what the business needs is the deliverable. As long as the flashlight turns on, because the specifics are yeah are invisible to the non-technical audience, the specifics of most web applications are utterly invisible. You see all the ugly code. You see the the hackarounds you do in the infrastructure. Nobody else sees that, and so their definition of done is not your definition of done. And, and, and by the way, their standards are so low for what a website needs to be. It's revolting. Right. And they, <laughs> they, they don't recognize or in a, in a lot of cases, the business side uh, does not recognize or appreciate the effort that goes into the quality. Now, I have a lot of friends and, and, and connections on the business side. And so I'm not saying that, that nobody, I'm not saying that they don't sympathize, but, but they cannot empathize difference, difference between sympathy and empathy. You Mm -hmm. can feel, you can feel a thing. You can imagine what it might feel like. Uh, you know, if you've lost a, if you've never lost a parent, you can sympathize with somebody who has, if you have yourself lost a parent, well, now you can empathize with them because you have gone through the same thing. That's the difference. This is why people, and I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, this is not a value judgment statement, Mm -hmm. but this is why somebody will appreciate you fixing their car a lot more than fixing their browser settings because they can actually, Actually at some visceral level, feel and understand, they get it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's also why we talked about before how a lot of engineers, if they they jump out of this business, they go into something that has a very physical, visual, visual, visceral component that others can see and appreciate because so much of what they do is just naturally invisible. There are, no. it is not- So many developers are are woodworkers and hikers and campers and fishers and all, you know, all this- very it's, practical, it's, open, yeah. like yeah. forward-facing It feels like stuff. human yes. need. It's a human need, yeah. man. We don't get that in our day job. Right, because they can't, because they can't fully appreciate it. But I know lots of business people who make a very an above average effort at at sympathizing and and kudos to them for for doing so. Mm-hmm. But if you can't actually see and appreciate it, you that's all you can do is is sympathize. And so there's already this gap yeah. that that has to be crossed. And unfortunately, the onus of crossing that chasm is going to naturally fall on the engineer because the business person is the human who doesn't have the technical knowledge. You as the engineer are a human with the technical knowledge. You're you're the leg up. And so it is actually incumbent upon you to try and meet that person where they are because you have knowledge that they don't. The challenge there is curse of knowledge, all the things that you do know. It's, it's, It's impossible to unknow all the things that you know and trying to distill down all the technical detail that you have to the things that actually matter to the other person. That's a, that's, that's hard. But it is, but it is necessary, and so coming to an agreement on what done looks like, recognizing what the business needs versus what you see as as necessary. Those those two things will never align. Yeah. But you need to dial in, you know, the 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 effort necessary, and then where where required, call out. Okay, I understand what you're what you're saying here. You know, you you want this flashlight and I can make it work and continue with your analogy, but the batteries are on the outside. We we can't keep the batteries on the outside and here's why. Here's what will happen. And that's the part that I think we fall down on because what we end up saying is, well, we can't have the batteries out on the outside. Well, why not? Because it's not where they go. That's just that's just not how it's done. This isn't right. And then and then I go, well, I don't really and here's where I start to sympathize with the business side because I don't live in the ivory tower. It's like, well, I don't care what's, you know, best practice. I want the thing that that works. That's that's my number one concern is make it work. And if you have to use some atypical non-standard, it's it's not part of the, you know, the neckbeard handed down, you know, blessed and and approved techniques. Okay. I don't care. And then if it's not part of the way, then pick a different way. I, often right. though, that's not the concern. Often though, it's like at, back to your definition. And we talked about this, I think in in ninety two. I think. Oh like, my gosh! What is you're your out a specific number? Good for you. Like, Holy crap! Like what? <laughs> like what is your ex, what is your acceptance criteria? That needs to be defined independently of the technology that you have. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it. Your acceptance criteria should not be defined as a delta of specific libraries, frameworks, functions. The acceptance criteria should be a human level, business level result. Mm -hmm. Then your job is to go back, translate that into technology, conduct a gap assessment, 
and then come up with a plan for closing that gap and then show back to your leadership team or whoever the stakeholders are that on a whatever weekly, whatever basis, you're making progress towards closing it, right? That's the job. That's the management job. The, the acceptance criteria, what is done to your point, can change wildly, right? Mm-hmm. If you are, if you are, let's say, Google, your definition of done for that flashlight is that the 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 beam field is as wide as possible. You want to illuminate all the things when it turns on. That's done. Mm-hmm. And so your flashlight might probably doesn't even have a case. It's just a light attached to some batteries, right? Because you bring your if own you're damn Apple, case. <laughs> if you're Apple, the only thing your definition of done is how does that case feel in the hand of the user? What are the ergonomics of turning it on and off? Uh, the beam is probably not as great as somebody else. As they're holding the flashlight. What is the unboxing experience? Does it mm. feel premium? Is it anodized aluminum? You know, like that's how does it feel to the user? How do they feel using it? How do they feel holding it conspicuously with the logo facing their friends, right? If you're Microsoft, <laughs> you care that the batteries are interchangeable because, you know, you got to support that thing for the next 20 years. So that can't be built in. Those batteries have to be on the outside because that's the only place they can be and still change them because we know they're not going to last because we're outsourcing to China. So like mm-hmm. it, like, and, and you look at those three companies building the same flashlight and you may get a wildly different device where Again, by default, where you're talking about the curse of knowledge, like the assumptions that kick in when you hear build me a flashlight, man, you are already, you already ran half a marathon in your mind, mm-hmm. but you don't know what direction you're going. That's the, like, that is the core problem with that, with that dynamic. Right. Yeah. And so when you're, so there's, there's, there's all of the definition of done and this dovetails into the other part that I, I took some notes while you were talking. The other thing that I picked up on was something that is good enough versus uh, versus it being fully 100% correct. And I sort perfect. of talked about this already. It's never, it's never perfect. You're, you, you always have to make sacrifices and those can come from a, no, a number of directions. It could be the business and, and their, their pressures of, of time and money. It could be uh, performance pressures. Okay. I'm going to do this shortcut because it's faster. There are lots mm-hmm. of products that make tons of sacrifices for speed. All kinds of things that they'll do in the name of speed. Google is infamous for this. All their products, it's you know whatever it takes to make it really, really fast. That's that's what they yeah. do. Um, and so understanding what actually needs to be brought to the table, because an engineer, our natural posture is everything perfect every time, because that's how we build. If you're a woodworker, yeah. you want your woodwork to be beautiful everywhere all the time. You you don't have that luxury in the software development all the time. And so finding out the places where being right is really, really important and focusing oh, on those. It's, because it's a hobby. I don't have to ship anything. And by the way, I rarely do. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Okay. Yes. True. I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I'm kind of making a point there though. That's right? true. Like you leave no, it to got an engineer. Yeah. No, you, you got leave a point. it to an engineer and I don't care how simple the scope is. You leave it to an engineer to build and it's not going to get finished. Yeah. <laughs> Cause true. we are always we're going to go down before you know it. We're supposed to be building this web app just to meet the simple customer demand. We're going to intake issues with a form when we detect that uh, JavaScript console through an error, right? It's not that hard. And pretty pretty soon, you got some asshole that's over here with all of his mechanical switches scattered across his desk with a little paintbrush, wasting hours of time because this is part of doing it well. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, some, some jack wagon who thinks he's actually, you know, do, making a good use of his time. Over here, just just <laughs> soft flexing for nerds that don't care. That's right. That's, yeah, what for a, no one. What a douche balloon. My so gosh, the, that guy. So good enough versus right is the other thing that I think we we, we don't do a good enough job of, of focusing in on and, and picking the things that are that are important. And then once we do know the things that are right, communicating effectively on the things that are right and necessary. I think the biggest block that would fall into this category would be security issues. We make a lot of sacrifices for for development speed and the world is quickly realizing now, I would I mean, it has been doing so over the course of my entire career, but it has really been on hyperspeed. It's gone to 11. It, yeah. In the last I'll say in the last not even the last 5 years, like the last 2 or 3 years, it has gone super duper fast 
the 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 broader well yeah because that's a that's a that's a uh that's like a a, um a vc cycle behind when the money started to come into Mm -hmm. infosec 2015 2017 you really like the cash just started flowing. well now we're half a business cycle after that and you're seeing all of this attention yeah the investors of course i mean Part of what makes us an investor successful is to see a trend before the trend becomes a trend. Yeah. Cyber, so the successful cybersecurity investors, that's exactly what they're doing. And what you're seeing now, as far as cybersecurity goes, is because technology is now ingrained completely in everything that we do, there is not a part of your life that doesn't have technology in it. There just isn't. It touches everything you do everywhere all the time. Full stop. Which means when breaches happen, they have real world impacts on your life directly. And you do not have I beg to your, be. You I beg your pardon. What did you just say? I, I think I had, I had something in my ear there. You said when breaches yeah. happen, right? And if you look at the money and if you look at where all of that attention is, very, because I get, I get reached out to by sec industry vendors all the time, where you look at all of the money and all the investment, it's not so much prevention, it's detection and response. Mm hmm. Now, I happen to be working with a company that's actually on the opposite side of that. We're actually working on the prevention side, and that's a lot of fun because we're Well, actually, there's a tie-in, right? If you detect yeah, early yeah. enough in the cycle, then it becomes kind of a prevention or at least a, a mitigation. But, yeah, but yeah. a lot of it in the last few years has been the detection because like, it's going to happen. And clean up. And, and SDLC is moving too fast for us to effectively prevent. And even if we could, it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> right. So- Security does not buy you a guarantee. It buys you time. The more security you have, the more time it takes for, for an attacker to breach your systems. This is yeah. standard security thought process. Not everyone knows it. That's why I like to repeat it as, you know, as opportunity presents itself. But anyway, the cybersecurity space has been increasing in speed so quickly in the last couple of years because now when breaches happen, they have an immediate impact on people's lives. And so even non-technical folks my parents, your parents, your kindergarten teacher who couldn't even get the damn VCR to work, that was always blinking 12. Even those people, they all feel the impacts. And so now there is less resistance to those kinds of needs. And so if you go to a business, to the business, your, your business counterpart, and you're working through some new project, and you lay out, okay, we need to make sure we do X, Y, and Z to ensure that it's secure so that we don't have breaches, data loss, things like that. You're not getting the pushback that you used to get. And I think that that's overall, it's it's a good thing. But we've been helped by the fact that cybersecurity breaches is now a, it's, it's not just an engineer problem. It's a it's a humanity problem. You know, we, we deal with this yeah. the same way we deal with any other kind of theft or breach of trust, you know, anything else that you would deal with in the justice system. It, it now has the same level of pervasiveness uh, across humanity, but that doesn't happen for things like, well, if we do it, this hack hackneyed way, now the database is unstable and the, and the, and the application might crash. You still have the, because, you still have because, the glossy, uh, glossy eyes of, uh, Okay whatever just right because because so we spent a lot of time on we yeah we spent the time on security the the industry is focused on security it's gotten a lot of attention that's great Uh, nobody cares nobody cares about uh uh cohesion and decoupling nobody cares about documentation nobody cares about test coverage nobody cares about automated but all of this stuff you know what it sounds like to the business person in the in the uh codependent abusive relationship it sounds like more nerd reasons why this is going to take longer. That's, that's what, exactly what that's it what is. they hear. They and hear at the, the end wah, of the day, wah, 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 wah. and at the end of the day, what is it? And, and at the end of the day, what is a manager tempted to cut when we have a deadline and it looks like we're not going to make mm. it? The documentation and the test coverage and the right. Because guess what? Nobody loses their job right away if that doesn't get done. We are so primed for immediate feedback loops and mm-hmm. immediate response on things. If we push something and it breaks, that's bad. It gets fixed. We we hear about it. If we push something and it doesn't have optimal documentation, it may take years before it comes back to bite you. If it ever does, you may have a completely different job by then, by the time it bites the team that's then there and, and they're cursing the last guy. Yeah. And even then, uh, so much time passes that it's almost impossible to put a, even put finger, finger 
blame finger pointing to the to any one individual just because it has passed through so many hands and they've all passed the buck. So who is actually responsible? My reason, and, and does it matter at that point? Yeah. Right? My reason in bringing up the cybersecurity angle was was twofold. One, this is an area where you don't have to worry and you should, if you see a concern, you should, I mean, just, I mean, now we're talking just engineer ethics. If you see a problem, you really should say something. You have a moral duty to make sure that these things are secure. It's not just, did you just drop it? Did you just drop in if you see something, say something? I did, but not in the- This show is degrading by the minute. Not in, not in the, you know, not in the government brown shirt style, uh, you know, of, of reporting, you know, reporting your neighbors, just it, uh, engineering ethics. You, you, you have a response. The work you, you do has an impact on people's real lives. Now, some of it's minor, you know, you're doing some informational website that, you know, th there's very little, there's very little impact if, you know, TikTok goes down, but even TikTok and things like that, where so social media sites are, I mean, they're in the crosshairs right now for actually being a, a major degenerative factor in society. So even there, you know, the, the, the it might not be a cybersecurity angle, but just you know, what you're doing and how it works and all those things and things. I, I, as an individual, I think it's important that you keep your moral compass centered. Um, the other reason that I brought up security, though, is because that conversation now happens easier. That's not, I don't know if you have felt yeah. this, but, but I have. It's easier to go to a business unit and say, we need to do this. Well, why? Because cybersecurity. Oh, okay. It, it sort of works yeah. faster. What I, I have seen, look, uh, I, I, have, I have been uh, in a previous role. I have been in a room where we say, okay, this is what we, as a, as a bunch of nerds, we say, okay, this is what we want to do. Okay, great. We're going to go do this. We don't have budgeted for it. Uh, no, that's okay because we have an audit coming up and this piece of what we want to do can give us this piece of information that fits into that puzzle. And so we'll just call it, we'll just call it security for the auditors and uh, it'll be fine. I'll get yeah, the money yeah. for it. Uh, hold on. Like hold I've on. literally heard somebody say, it's all right. We'll get the money for it. We're going to, we're going to chalk it up to the audit that's coming up. All right. Total sidebar here. Anytime somebody tells you we can't do a thing because budget doesn't mean that they don't have the money. It means that you don't have sufficient enough justification. So go you get need, your justification. You need a better angle. You need yeah. to get a better angle. So never- Well, no, this is this is a case where everybody in the room agrees this is what we need to do. It is actually that we don't have the budgeted dollars. Um, and so it was because security, yes, but, basically. Oh, the auditors, right? Done. Yes, but that's, but you, right. But that's not my, that, yes, you, you, it's not in your budget. That's, that's fine, okay. We all have faced that situation. What I'm saying is even when that is true, that does not mean that the dollars don't exist somewhere in the realm. No, of right. The, the next level up is that group of agreeing people going to the the finance department and saying, hey, we need these dollars because audits and poof, the, yeah, the check all was of a sudden, written. Yeah, all of a sudden the yeah. check just magically yeah. appears. So if, you, yeah. if you're not getting the money because budget, if you think it's really important, go find a better angle. The business, it will absolutely spend money where they think it's worth it. If they're telling yeah. you no because budget, they're saying it's not worth it. And so you have to convince them that it is. And that means speaking their language. And that I'm going to actually very conveniently wrap back around to the point I'm trying to make here with security and the communication that you have with the business side, when you talk security, that works really well right now because the business gets it. So for these other things, performance, stability, the right way to do it, all those kinds of things that we as engineers have trouble with that end up, that end up making us carry a three pound bag full of, full of five pounds of crap, use the security conversations as a guide. Okay. Yeah. What do I mean by that? The business side, the non-technical audience you're talking to, they get it. There's a piece that has crossed the chasm. There's a, yeah, there what, is a what about that that they understand what is it, and why? Why? Exactly. As soon as you can understand why that has crossed the bridge, now you can start to connect the dots to other things. Yeah. And it, it really does boil down to simple things. We're all self-interested, egotistical beings where that's that's just yeah. how it works and so if you're presenting oh, that was that was a kind way to end that descriptor i was, thought you were going to go a different go way more. but all right yeah i went, I, I went, a, little less, I went a little less colorful because i realized well this includes literally everybody including myself my wife my kids so i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. dial it back a little bit
<laughs> We're all self-interested. And so you have to present it in a way that addresses self-interest. This is the thing. This is it. This is the thing that engineers suck at. They don't put it in terms that the other person actually has any self-interest in. If you talk to them about your engineering challenges, well, they're your problems, buddy. Freaking deal with them. You know, that's, I don't, you I, know what? if I go to my doctor and, and I need a, and I need a report and, you know, I, I'm just like, I don't care how you do it. That's your job. You, you figure it out. I've got a, I've got an RMA right now in for, um, for the PC I've got here. Um, actually I read a story about this. Oh my gosh. Another sidebar. Usually this goes the other way. Usually it's you doing this. I have a, um, RMA in for a, uh, for an M2 hard drive that failed in the, in the new machine that I got. I've had it less than six months. The whole thing died. So I have a replacement Mm -hmm. in. I still don't, first of all, I still don't have the drive back. It was supposed to be two to three days. It's been weeks. I'm about to get on the phone and scream at somebody. So origin, you're not doing a good job here, pal. Come on, pick it up. Second of all, I actually read a story. I'll see if I can find it that apparently this brand of uh, this model of hard drive is experiencing a slew of premature failures. So this might actually oh, really? be a fundamental yeah. flaw in the drive itself. Either the design or or that that production run. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, bring it back. We're all self-interested and engineers just do a terrible job of talking at a level because we're not communicators, we're engineers, although we're humans. And so we are communicators. And guess what? If you want to be a pro in this business, you do have to have a certain level of interpersonal communication. And so being able to translate things into something that the other party is has interest and value in is important. They do have that interest and value in cybersecurity. So the next time you ha- you see and have that conversation, pay close just say attention. It's security. That's what I heard. Just what? just call it security. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that kind of goes along with what we said about budget. You know, if if yeah. saying the words cybersecurity gets you budget, then yeah, I mean if you can, I don't if you can validate it. I don't see what the problem. Is. I don't. I don't no, but I think, see the problem. But part of it, part of it, we already talked about that, right? Because it's it's we are all fundamentally flawed, and I'm ever more convinced that we are all terrible communicators. It's not unique to technologists. The problem is the rest of the business is has some level of exposure or understanding or appreciation or day-to-day contact with the details of all of those other disciplines, right? So your finances and accountings, your legals, your designs, your marketings, your sales, your operations, your manufacturings, your all of those other parts of the business, somebody in any other any any other place in the business kind of at least gets what it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. Us? We're the, we're the guys down in sub-basement C. They have no idea. They know they know when computer no work, I go talk Frank, Frank fix, right? That's <laughs> And I'm being facetious here. I'm being facetious here, but there's not even a level. And most people don't understand how cars work, right? Most people have no idea how they get in their car and it actually moves from A to B. But there is a more visceral appreciation for it because of the routine contact they just don't have when you're a sysadmin, when you're a DBA, when you're a developer. Like It's just different, even though everybody's constantly got their nose in their phone and scrolling Facebook and looking at the computer. They're all in it all the time, but they don't think about it that way. And so the, the, the visceral, the natural, the human exposure to it is low. They don't have an appreciation for it. And then you get the hand-waving of the details and... Well, yeah, that's just, you know, a bunch of nerd crap, get it done. And even if you do have the... And so we have, I guess my point there is we have, sorry, we have the burden, you. right? Um, we have the burden of trying to explain something that is innately more foreign to them than their peers in other areas of the organization. And so that makes it seem like we are the ones with bad people skills. And by and large, we are, but so are all the rest of them. They're just more used to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think we, okay, so I think you're, I think you're right and you're, you're right and you're more right. I think. Oh, I like where this is going. I'm sure you do. <laughs> all humans are, are bad communicators because human communication is challenging. Engineering yeah. as a field discipline attracts people with weaker interpersonal skills. The nature of the work just sort of leads there. There's nothing good or bad about it. It just is. The other thing that I want to call out and you you sort of, you danced around it a little bit, but engineering it's, it's all 
it's not that they don't interact with it. It's the, it's that that their interaction points are abstracted to an extreme degree. Like, oh yeah, for, no, like I a agree car, with that. A car is a good example. We, we love the car analogy around here. Cars are great. With a car, you, you <laughs> we should start selling ads for Ford. Cars should. are great. That's, <laughs> that's the clip. I'm gonna send that to Chevy tomorrow. Hey, you should advertise us. Listen to this native ad. Cars are great. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> So with a car, you have a direct interaction with it. You can see the wheels. You understand the notion of the engine. Push the gas, it goes. And there's there are pieces hidden from you, but they're not that far mentally removed. It's fairly easy to understand. Yeah. With any of the apps that you talk about scrolling on your phone, there's so much under the hood there that happens. And on top of that, it's it's all code logic. There's nothing physical tactile that you can see and touch. So even if I show you a database, you, you first you have to understand what a database is and what it does before you can even understand what the hell you're looking at. So there's so many layers yeah. that they just, I can show you the application. I can show you source code. It's not going to mean a dang thing to you. Was that, that, uh, that's was that the, die, that's the handicap. die Hard 4 where the nerd's like, oh, if he knew everything I knew, his little head would explode, right? Like that's... Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. there's like there's a little bit of that, you know, yeah. uh, physicists. Are, I don't know if you know any physicists. Um, I know some great physicists, some really nice people, but there is a stereotype that physicists are just the most arrogant a-holes in academia. And they kind of understand how literally everything within the observable physical universe works. So it's warranted. But the stereotype is also kind of true. <laughs> yeah, because they think, I mean, you you sort of, you know. The the, the, yeah. the fact proved the, the, right, the example right. proves the case. It's like, oh, 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 you know so much. It's like, well, yeah, everything. <laughs> Which is, by the way, uh, that's, the, I mean, that's why Sheldon was such an asshat on Big Bang Theory because he, he had the same mentality. Oh, that's part of, I love that. Part show. of the reason why the show was so oh, good was they really even better. that stuff. Even better than the normal like textbook physicist arrogance. Uh, my, uh, my first physics professor in college uh, was from the Bronx. And he had, and he had the attitude and the accent on, like natively, like his baseline personality was Bronx. And then you added the stereotypical physicist stuff. We loved. He was horrible. It was amazing. I miss that guy. (laughs) It was horrible. It was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So physicists and surgeons are are in in a class Uh, all their in a class all their yeah yeah. So. Understanding that we have a gap, we have a gap above and beyond what most others have. Mm-hmm. It's incumbent on us to try and push ourselves across that because going, it, it's easier for us as engineers to go across that gap than it is to go in the other direction for the business side to approach us yeah. because there's just so much baseline that they need to approach even halfway across that bridge. Mm-hmm. So we need to really push in the other direction. And then, you know, I want I want to come. We we sort of gone. I think. A little far afield, but as we are wont to do around here, bringing this back to okay, well, how do like I this is a directed conversation? How do I how do I end up over overloaded, and how do I prevent yeah. that from happening? And it really boils down to to the communication and level setting expectations. Most uh, you know, unless things are unless there is like a disaster, you know, there's a fire or something like that. Most other companies and positions, and I'm 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 deliberately excluding bad management. Okay, that's a, that's a whole mm-hmm. we've talked about them before. I'm not talking about toxic management. Let's assume that your management is actually fairly reasonable and decent. Okay, right. in those situations, they don't want so you, not me. So <laughs> they don't want you jam packed and working overtime and burning out. They just they just don't. But also, everybody understands that sometimes the crap hits the fan, and you got to do all hands on deck. But it can't be all hands on deck, crap hitting the fan all the time. That's literally not how it works. That's the, if, if I have I have somebody right now. I if if you're listening, you know who you are. You are overloaded. You're gonna burn out. I want you to work less. <laughs> so you you need to you need to do that. You you need to you need to level it down. But how do they, so how do these engineers still end up overloaded? Because we have it goes back to these communication skills and actually saying, okay, you know, this is what it's gonna take. And then when it takes longer, 
It's not incumbent on you to now kill yourself because it's taking longer. If you have, if you've done a good job up until that point explaining what it's going to take and why it's happening, and as long as nothing went off the rails, you didn't completely forget a thing or you know disappear for a week because you know the new you know the, the new Factorio is not going to play itself. Factorio is not going to play itself. The newest expansion of Final Fantasy fourteen came out, and you just went heads down into that for for a week and a half. Outside of those kinds of situations, you know, just normal course of business. <laughs> You, you know, it should not happen on the regular. And so it is actually incumbent on you to speak up for yourself. And so I, to, we said all of that to say, if you want to avoid having five pounds of crap in a three pound bag, the way you do that is to simply say, I'm not putting five pounds of crap in this three pound bag. You actually I, need to stand up and say, I have can't to say. do this. And the day is over. Good night. And you and, have and to walk away. <laughs> no, and and look at uh, we we spent so much time saying, look, engineers are people too, and so that means we're flawed. But guess what? Engineers are people too. We want to do a good job. Developers, technologists, they want most to be a facilitator I would say to the most business. People do. Most people, they, well, yeah. No, if we're taking a generous view of management, we'll take a, a generous view of of contributorship yeah, as well. Absolutely, we want to do a good job. We want to do the right thing. We want to drive value. That's why the hell we're here. Um, and you know, part of it, like that's, that's, I think we recognize for the most part, we recognize that we are in a service industry. We're serving the business, not the other way around. And so it's, it's part of like, we want to do a good job. We want you to be happy. We want you to be pleased. We want to do a good job. Um, and then you, you, you wind up in this, uh, this ruinous empathy cycle. Um, I do have two pieces of practical. It's kind of a two parter one piece of, I have a practical piece of advice to, to get at this though. Okay. Um, so the first thing, if, if you go into the meeting and this is the first time something's being presented, Hey, we want, we want these five pounds of stuff, right? Uh, what I would, or, or what I would say is, okay, can you write down like the, the, high level requirements. You don't have to call them. Can you, can you fill out this requirements intake form? You know, you don't have to be Milton about it, but just, you know, in, in your own way and in, in as appropriate for that conversation, say, Hey, can you jot that down an email and send it to me? Or can we, can I screen share and I'll take notes you can dictate? Let me know exactly what the shape of this thing is, what the require, what you're looking for here. What are the success criteria back to episode 92 and where we started this conversation? And then, okay, let me ruminate on this a little bit. Let me think about this one. Let this, I need this to simmer. What I would do then is schedule a follow-up call between now and then, go back and think about, okay, if this is what I were to build, never mind how much time it's going to take or if you have the time, but if I was going to build this in a phased approach, let me first assume that this piece of work is not atomic. I think that's one of the big mistakes. They have one ask. Right, business requests one thing, and so you assume natively that it is atomic, and it must all be delivered at once up front. This feeds into the developer mentality that everything's got to be perfect before it ships. Assume that this can be phased out, and think about the design of the system, and think about how you would phase this out so that phase one, the first phase of N, drives a little bit of business value. And then every subsequent phase drives additional business value. Just think about that. Now you have your follow-up meeting. Don't show your cards, but ask, hey, I've thought about this and I want to understand we have all these requirements. How would we phase this? So if I can't give you everything by X date, you at least get something that moves the needle. You're going to do two things in this conversation. Number one, you're going to make it a collaborative exercise. You set the stage that you're not going to fit all pounds, all five pounds in your three pound bag. And number three, you get the other party thinking about prioritization. What is the most important thing? It may come that upon that reflection, they say, actually, no, this one thing that's important. Uh, the rest of it, we don't even have to do right now. We could defer that till next year. This is the thing I really need. And all of a sudden, boom, five pounds became two. Um, so that's a, that's a practical piece of advice. If you, you think about how you would phase us, first of all, assume it's not atomic. Think about how you would phase it. And every phase should have a deliverable that drives value. And then ask your business partner how they would phase it. Absent pollution of your own phasing approach with a fresh mind. Um, and see if that doesn't help kind of grease the conversation and get us all thinking on the same page about how maybe expectations can be lowered and and even better something can be delivered before your date 
if those chunks are small enough. Mm-hmm. Excellent stuff. I was going to save it, but th- it dovetails too nicely with what we've been talking about today. Uh, Lay it I, on me. I've got, I've got a, um, I've, I've got another ask the internet. We just, we just, we just got to do it. Oh my God. Movable printed type. It just fits too well. Uh, All right. So what books title from, uh, it was on a, it was a Reddit post over in ask programming. What books should every programmer read? Uh, for somebody fresh out of university working on the first job, what would you recommend to, to read subjects you would look into? Now, why I think this dovetails so nicely. We could sit here all day and talk about programming books. I actually am not going to throw any programming books at you at all. I don't think that that's actually where most... No. That's not what programmers should read because you, you're going to find that crap. You're going to read docs. You're going to go find... No, no, that's not what you need. The first one that I'm going to recommend. I no, have, my I I nobody can see this, but I leaned back immediately. My eyes went straight for the business shelf yup. uh, of my built-ins there. Yup. So yeah. I have two recommendations off the top of my head, in line in the spirit with what we've talked about today. The first one is this really tiny book. It's called The Mom Test. I can't remember the author's name. Give me a second. I'm just preaching. Uh, I had to reach for the book. Sorry. Uh, Rob Fitzpatrick, The Mom Test, How to Talk to Customers and Learn if Your Business is a Good Idea When Everyone is Lying to You. And this is actually a practical guide. It's targeted at would-be entrepreneurs who have a potential business idea, and they're trying to figure out if the business idea has legs. That's the original intent. But what I found with this book is that this is how you talk to anybody about, you know, tease, to, to, to tease out <laughs> anything. <laughs> not, not, it's not how you talk to anybody about anything. It's how you tease out their actual interests yeah. and their actual values. And so going back to what we were saying about, okay, they, you know, we can talk cybersecurity because they kind of get it. Well, what about the other things that you don't get it? You can ask questions the way that this book describes it, and you can sort of tease out the things that are actually really, really important. So this is the first one that I would recommend. Yeah. The second one that I'm going to recommend is my ongoing hobby uh, hobby horse, Extreme Programming by Kent Beck. I think they have. You said no programming. It's not. Yeah, it's not programming. Extreme Programming is not a programming book. Well, but it's, it's a technical book. Though. It's not. A, uh, I don't think it is, though. It doesn't. Talk it's not about, like a it's not like a uh, here's C++ with boost, but it's uh, all right. It, I'm, I'm going to give you I'm going to I'm going to give you a halfsy on that, but it's a good pick. So, it, yeah, it's. I, I know it said, I could, it's, you classify it as, as programming because it says programming in the title. I don't think this is about programming. I think this is about how teams work together Team and how structure you, and, and how you actually, yeah. and how yeah. you work a product. You talk about breaking, you, you talked earlier about breaking your things into phases. That's actually the thing that triggered this in my mind. Extreme programming takes, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, extreme programming is, is sort of the grandfather to what is modern day agile. I think that modern day agile is a bunch of over overloaded and overvalued buzzwordy cruft and extreme programming was the, is, was the uh, predecessor. And it just focuses on whatever process you need to do, do that. If that process changes tomorrow, change it and make sure then, that you then do that. Yeah. And do that. And small, simple, you know, yeah. short loops. It, it, it goes into more detail that I think again, to, to the challenge that we're talking about today, if you, can, if you can build processes that are small, simple, and effective and break a big project into smaller and smaller pieces, which is what this book basically is, it's a cookbook for that, you will have an easier time delivering and you will keep the extra two pounds of crap out of your three pound bag. So those are my two choices. What about you? Uh, my mind, it didn't go to a, a book. I immediately thought about the Pareto Principle. And so how uh, the first, the roughly, uh, you know, the generalization is that 80% of your outcomes come from about 20% of your effort. And so, uh, or the 80, 20 rule, right? So the idea is to, the idea is for any, any, any project, any task, figure out what that 20% is, do that and then move the hell on, right? Because you've gotten your ROI. Um, so, but that's not like a book that I'm aware of, um, uh, so I, in that same vein, I think it has been a long time since I've read it. It is sort of a general life type book, not nearly, not technical in any respect, uh, but Less is More by Leo Babauta. It's about, I don't know, 1.4 pages long. It's a very, <laughs> it might be 80 pages. It's a very short book that is very small. Um, 
and it's just about it's kind of the same principle like this um it, you could call it a treatise on minimalism but it's really it's really like how do you identify the stuff that matters and then get rid of the rest so the purpose is not to be minimalistic the purpose is that prioritization that cognizance is is sort of the the point of it um so that would be the first one and i mean I almost don't want to say good to great again because I feel like we we play that out sometimes. But I, I don't mind. like. And you play it. that out. I don't. So think if you you're can. asking for two, if you're asking for two, I would say I would say good to great in that same um, in that same breath because it talks uh, about what because, makes businesses great, and then you can leverage that in any role. You don't which have again, to be a founder to do that. It, which is people. It's priorities. Yep. It's, I, I mean, it's all the stuff that you know that that we preach uh, all the live long day. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Some some books for the uh, for the ask redditor who's uh, who's looking for uh, who's looking for some help. We must keep this from the serfs lest they gain literacy and threaten the landed gentry. Do we have do we have like a use slash refactored? We should do that. Like I realized that we didn't actually respond to the thread. We should respond to the thread. Yeah. I'm I'm actually I was actually going to. I was I was waiting for you to. All right. So there you go. So there's some books for 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 the uh, for the redditors and yeah I. We uh, we should we should definitely link over there. I think I'm coming in a little hot here. Let me boil this down a little bit. Bring that down just a tick. Yeah, that outro that outro has come in. Yeah, hot the last I had couple to change weeks. my something changed in my set. Remember the the dead hard drive that I was talking about? Yeah. Like something changed in my setup, and I'm not. I haven't figured out what it is yet because I haven't had to a dial. I usually don't have to dial down the the outro like. Oh that, my gosh, but... so much technical detail, dude. Just make it work. I know. <laughs> you, see, you see what I did there? Yeah, I see what you did there. You said <laughs> stop talking about the meta. Nobody cares about the meta. Just do the show. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to uh, tell us to talk less meta and do more show, we'd love to hear from you. Feedback at refactor.work is where you can reach out to us. That's also the website refactor.work. You can check out past episodes. They have show notes. They have links. Uh, all that kind of day as if it's somebody else you know it's like our team uh, we have all that stuff out there you can check that out uh, if you want to hear more from me I have my stuff over at hot coals k-o-e-h-l-s dot com and if you want to check Chris's re- re- uh, musings out he's over at tonkinson dot com and this has been episode 95 coming up on the on triple digits of the Refactor Podcast, recorded on January 26, 2023. Always a pleasure, Chris. Thanks, Frank.